14. After that I hurried on, got off the politicium, and suffered a nasty experience for my foolishness, when nearing the city, inquiring whether my men had gone on inside the walls, a Cooley, liar that he was, told me that they had, I strode on again, encountering the crowds who blocked the roadway as market progressed, who stared in a suspicious manner at the generally disreputable, tired, and dirty foreigner, each moment I expected the escort to arrive, I could not sit down and drink tea, for I had not a single cash on my person, I could speak none of the language, and could merely push on, with ragtags at my heels, becoming more and more embarrassed by the pointing and staring public, I turned, but could see none of my men, I managed to get to the outer gate, and there sat down on the grass, with five score of gaping idiots in front of me, seeing this vulgar looking intruder among them, who would not answer their simplest queries, or give any reason for being there, suspicion grew worse, they naturally wanted to know what it was, and what it wanted, some thought I might be deaf, and raved questions in my ear at the top of their voices, even then I remained impotently dumb, two policemen came and said something, at their invitation I followed them, and found myself later in a small police box, the street line with people, facing an officer, the man hailed me in speech and civil, he was huge as the hyperborean bear, and cruel looking, and with a sort of apologetic petitionary growl I sidled off, but it was anything but comfortable, and I should not have been surprised had I found myself being led off to the Yaman, after an earth-trying half hour, I was thankful to see the form of my men appearing at the moment when I was vehemently expressing indignation at not being understood, chapter XVII, a bumptious official, ignominious contrasts of two travelers, diminishing respect for foreigners in the Far East, where the European fails, his maltreatment of Orientals, convicts on the way to death, at Chusanifu, buffaloes and children, exasperating repetition met in Chinese home life, an aesthetic womanhood, quarrymen and careless tactics, spoke for the physiologist, interesting unit of the city's humanity, signs of decay in the countryside, carrying the debt to eternal rest, at Chinanjo, public kotoing ceremony and its aftermath, Chinese ignorance of distance, all-round idyllic peace did not reign at Quantungxian, where I rested over Sunday, contacts in social conditions gave rise inevitably to causes for conflicts, arriving early, my men were able to secure the best room and soon after, with much imposing pomp and show, a Guan arrived, disgusted that he had to take a lower room, I bowed politely to him as he came in, he did not return it, however, but stood with a contemptuous grin upon his face as he took in the situation, I do not know who the person was, neither have a wish to trace his ancestry, but his bumptiousness and general misbehavior, utterly in antagonism to national etiquette, made me hate the sight of the fellow, pride has been said to make a man a hedgehog, I do not say that this man was a hedgehog altogether, but he certainly seemed to wound everyone he touched, he had with him a great retinue, an extravagant equipage, fine clothes, and presumably a great fortune, but none of this offended me it was his contempt which hurt, he seemed to splash me with mud as he passed, and was altogether badly disposed, in his every act he heaped humiliation upon me, and insulted me silently and gratuitously with unbearable disdain, luckily, be it said to the credit of the Chinese government, one does not often meet officials of this kind, such an atmosphere would nurture the worst feeling, it island of course, 
possible that had I been traveling with many men and in a style necessary for representatives of foreign governments, this hog might have been more polite, but the fact that I had little with me, and made a poor sort of a show, allowed him to come out in his true colors and display his unvenered feeling towards the foreigner, that he had no knowledge of the man crossing China on foot was evident, he was great and rich that was the sentiment he breathed out to everyone and the foreigner was humble, there is no wrong in enjoying a large superfluity, but it was not indispensable to have displayed it, to have wounded the eyes of him who lacked it, to have flaunted his magnificence at the door of my commonplace, had I been able to speak, I should have pointed out to this fellow that to know how to be rich is an art difficult to master, and that he had not mastered it, that as an official his first duty in exercising power was to learn that of humility, and that it is the irritating authority of such very lofty and imperious beings as himself, who say, I am the law, that provokes insurrection, however, I was dumb, and could only return his contemptuous glance now and again, to him I could have said, as I would here say also to every foreigner in the employ of the Chinese government, the only true distinction is superior worth, if foreigners in China are to have social and official rank respected, they must begin to be worthy of their rank, otherwise they help to bring it into hatred and contempt, it is a pity some native officials have to learn the same lesson, in several years of residence in the Far East I have noticed respect for the foreigner unhappily diminishing, the root of the evil is in the mistaken idea that high station exempts him who holds it from observing the common obligations of life, it comes about so often have I seen it in the straight settlements and in various parts of India that those who demand the most homage make the least effort to merit that homage they demand, that is chiefly why respect for the foreigner in the Orient is diminishing, and I have no hesitancy in asserting that the average European in the East and Far East does not treat the Oriental with respect, he considers that the Chinese, the Malay, the Burman, the Indian is there to do the donkey work only, the newcomer generally discovers in himself an astounding personal omnipotence, and even before he can talk the language is so obsessed with it that as he grows older, his sense of it broadens and deepens, and in China of the Chinese this is true today as in other spheres of the Far East the native is there to do the donkey work, and does it contentedly and for the most part cheerfully, but he will not always be so content and so cheerful, he will not always suffer a lettering from a man whom he knows he dare not now hit back. I someday he may hit back, we have seen it before, how at some moment, by some interior force making a way to the light, an explosion takes place, there is an upheaval, all sorts of grave disorders, and because some Europeans are killed the celestial government is called upon to pay, and to pay heavily, indemnities are given, but the Chinese pride still feels the smart, one pulling away up the sides of barren, sandy hills in my lonely pilgrimage, I could see wide, fertile plains sheltered in the undulating hollows of mountains, over which in arduous toil I vanished and reappeared, how or where I could hardly calculate, suddenly, rounding an awkward corner, a magnificent panorama broke upon the view in a rolling valley watered by many streams below, all green with growing wheat, a high spur about midway up the rolling mountain forms a capital spot for wayfarers to stop and exchange travelers notes, a couple of convicts were here, their feet manacled and their white cotton clothing branded with the seal of death, by the side word are the crude wooden cages in which they were carried by four men, with whom they mixed freely and manufactured coarse jokes, in six days bang would fall the knife, and their heads would roll at the feet of the executioners at Yuan Manfu, 
Coming into Chusang for AJ the stage is what the men call 90 Lee. But it is not more than 70 I was brought to an insignificant wayside place where the innkeeper upbraided my boy for endeavoring to allow me to pass without wetting a cup at his bonny hostelry. Had I done so, I should have avouched myself utterly indifferent to reputation as a traveler. But I did not stay the night here. I passed on through the town to a new building, an inn, into which I peered inquiringly. A well-dressed lad came courteously forward, in his bowing and scraping seeming to say, Good sir, we most willingly embrace the opportunity of being honored with your noble self and your retinue under our poor roof. Long since have we known your excellent qualities, long have we wished to have you with us. We can have no reserve towards a person of your open and noble nature. The frankness of your humor delights us. Disburden yourself, O great brother, here and at once of your paraphernalia. I stayed, and was charged more for lodging than at any other place in all my wanderings in China. My experience was different from that of Major Davies when he visited this city in 1899. He writes, The people of this town are particularly conservative and exclusive. They have such an objection to strangers that no inn is allowed within the city walls, and no one from any other town is allowed to establish a shop. When the telegraph line was first taken through here there was much commotion, and so determined was the opposition of the townspeople to this newfangled means of communication that the telegraph office had to be put inside the colonel's yamen, the only place where it would be safe from destruction. The proprietor of the inn in which I stayed was a man of about fifty, of goodly person and somewhat corpulent, comely presence, good humor, and privileged freedom. He had a pretty daughter. He was an exception to the ordinary father in China, in the fact that he was proud of her, as he was of his house and his bearing, but in all conscience he should have been abundantly ashamed of his charges, for my boy said I was charged three times too much, and I have no cause for doubting his word either for he was fairly honest. I once had a boy in Singapore who acted for three weeks as a Gandhi, Alaska whilst my own boy underwent a surgical operation, and between misreckonings, miscarriages, misdealings, mistakes and misdemeanors, had he remained with me another month I should have had to pack up lock, stock and barrel and clear. I stayed here a day in the hope of getting my mail, but had the pleasure of seeing only the bag containing it. It was sealed and the postmaster had no authority to break that seal. There were no telegraph poles in the district through which I was passing, the connections were affixed to the trunks of trees. The telegraph runs right across the Chusangfu plain, on entering which one crosses a rustic bridge just below a rather fine pagoda, from which an excellent view is obtained of the old city. The wall up towards the north gate, where there is another pagoda, is built over a high knoll, Inside the wall half the town is uncultivated ground, for youngsters here were having a great time on the back of a lazy buffalo, who, turning his head swiftly to get rid of some irritating bee, dislodged the quartet to the ground, where they fought and cursed each other over the business. Everything that one sees around here is particularly Chinesey. It may be supposed that I am not the first person who has gone through town after town and found in all that he looks at, particularly the houses. Certain forms identical, inevitable, exasperating by common repetition. It has been said that poetry is not in things, it is in us, but in China very little poetry comes into the homes and lives of the common millions, they are all dead dwelling houses, even the best, their homes without life or brightness. Among the working classes of the West there is to be found a kind of ministering beauty which makes its way everywhere, 
springing from the hands of woman, when the dwelling is cramped, the purse limited, the table modest, a woman who has the gift finds a way to make order and puts care and art into everything in her house, puts a soul into the inanimate, and gives those subtle and winsome touches to which the most brutish of human beings is sensible, but in China woman does nothing of this, her life is an aesthetic to the last degree. No happy improvisations or touches of the stamp of personality enter her home, one cannot trace the touches of witchery in the tying of a ribbon. Everywhere you find the same class of furniture and garniture, the same shape of table, of stool, of form, of bed, of cooking utensils, of picture, of everything, and all the details of her housekeeping are so apathetically uninteresting. The Chinese woman has no charming art, rather is it a common, horrid, daily grind. She is not, as the woman should be, the interpreter in her home of her own grace, and she differs from her western sister in that it is impossible for her to express in her dress also the little personalities of character all is eternally the same, but I know so very little of ladies' clothing, and therefore cease. Quarrying was going on high up among the hills as I left the city, men were out of sight, but their hammering was heard distinctly. As each boulder was freed these wielders of the hammer yelled to passers-by to look out for their heads, gave the stone a push to start it rolling, and if it rolled upon you it was your own fault and not theirs you should have seen to it that you were somewhere else at the time. If it blocked the pathway, another had to be made by those who made the traffic. Directly under the quarry I was accosted by a beggar. Old foreign man, old foreign man, he yelled. Stones were falling fast. It is possible that he does not sit there now. Physiognomists do not swarm in China. There is grand scope for someone. There would be ample material for research for the student in the soldiers alone who would be sent to guard him from place to place. He would not need to go farther afield, for he would be given fat men and lean men, brave men and cowards, some blessed with brains and some not one with brainy, civil and surly, stubby and lanky, but rogues and liars all. Travelers are always interested in their chairmen, oftentimes my interest in them was greater than theirs in me, until the time came for us to part, then the Chitsayan, A.L. always in view from the outset of their duty, brought us in a manner nearer to each other, as I came out of the inn at Chusangfu somewhat hurriedly, for my men lingered long over the rice, I stumbled over the yamen fellow who crouched by the door side, he laughed heartily, had I fallen on him his tune might have been changed, but no matter, this unit of the city humanity was not bewilderingly beautiful, he was profoundly ill-proportioned, very goitrous, and ravages of smallpox had bequeathed to him a wonderful facial ugliness, he had, however, be it written to his honor, learned that life was no theory, one could see that at a glance as he walked along at the head of the procession, with a stride like an ox, manfully shouldering his absurd weapon of office, which in the place of a gun was an immense carved wooden mace, not in like a leg of the old-time wooden bedstead of antiquity. His ugliness was embittered somewhat by sunken, toothless jaws and an enigmatical stare from a cross eye. He was also not need, and as an erstwhile gunpowder worker, had lost two fingers and a large part of one ear. But he had learned the secret of simple duty, he had no dreams, no ambition embracing vast limits, did not appear to wish to achieve great things unless it were that in his fidelity to small things he laid the base of great achievements. He waited upon me hand and foot, he burned with ardor for my personal comfort and well-being, 
he did not complicate life by being engrossed in anything which to him was of no concern his only concern was the foreigner, and towards me he carried out his duty faithfully and to the letter, I would wager that that man, ugly of face and form, but most kindly disposed to one who could communicate little but dumb approval, was an excellent citizen, an excellent father, an excellent son, so very different was another traveler who unceremoniously forced himself upon me with the inevitable, Chin Fan, Chin Fan, although he had no food to offer, he commenced with a far-fetched eulogium of my ambling palfrey Rusty, who limped along leisurely behind me, so far as he could remember, poor ignorant ass. He had never seen a pony like it in his extensive travels probably from Yuan Manfu to Tailifu. If so far, but as a matter of fact, Rusty had wrenched his right forefetlock between a gully in the rocks the day before and was now going lame, dressed fairly respectably in the universal blue. My unsought companion was of middle stature, strongly built, but so clumsily as to border almost on deformity, and to give all his movements the ungainly awkwardness of the left-handed left-legged man, he walked with a limp, was suffering like myself with sore feet, if not that, it was something incomparably worse, not for a moment throughout the day did he leave my side, the only good point about him being that when we drank tea, of course he vainly begged to be allowed to pay, in that he was the shadow of some of my friends of younger days, but of men enough, from Chusang Fuan to Tailifu the whole country bears lamentable signs of gradual ruin and decay a falling off from better times. The former city is probably the most important point on the route, and is mentioned as a likely point for the proposed Yuanman Railway. The country has never recovered from the terrible effects of the Great Mohammedan Rebellion of 1857. Foundations of once imposing buildings still stand out in fearful significance, and ruins everywhere over the barren country tell plain tales all too sad of the good days gone. Temples originally fit for the largest city in the empire, with elaborate wood and stone carving and costly, weird images sculptured in stone, with particularly fine specimens of those blood-curdling Buddhistic hills and their presiding monsters, with miniature ornamental pagodas and intricate archways, are all now unused, and when the people need material for any new building seldom erected now in this district, the temple grounds are robbed still more. In the days of its prosperity Yuan Man must have been a fair land indeed, bright, smiling, seductive, now it is the exact antithesis, and the people live sad, flat, colorless existences. For three days my caravan was preceded by twelve men, headed by a sort of gather with a gong, carrying a corpse in a massive black coffin, elaborate in red and blue silk drapings and with the inevitable white cock presiding, one leg tied with a couple of strands of straw to the cover on which it crowed lustily, their mission was an honorable one, carrying the honored debt to its last bed of rest eternal, for this dead man had secured the fulfillment of the highest inhuman destiny to have his bones buried near the scene of his youth, near his home, this is a simple custom the Chinese cherish and reverence, of highest honor to the dead and of no mean value to the living, to the dead, because buried near the home of his fathers he would not be subject to those delusive temptations in the future state of that confused and complex life, to the living, because it gave work to a dozen men for several days, and enabled them to have a good time at the expense of the departed, a perpetual and excruciatingly unmusical chant, in keeping with the occasion's sadness, rent the mountain air, interrupted only when the bearers lowered the coffin and left the remains of the great dead on a pair of trestles in the roadway. 
whilst they drank to his happiness above and smoked tobacco which the relatives had given them. Once this he up of Chinese merit and was dumped in ceremoniously on the turf while the headman entered into a blackguarding contest with one of the fellows who was alleged to be constantly out of step with his brethren, because he was a much smaller man. The gaffer gave him a bit of a drubbing for his insolence. Rain came on at Chinanjo, a small town of about 300 houses, where I sought shelter in the last house of the street. The householder, a shriveled, goitrous humpback, received me kindly, removed his pot of cabbage from the fire to brew tea for his uninvited guest, and showed great gratitude to such an extent that he nearly fell into the fire as he moved to push the children forward towards me when I gave a few cash to three kitties who gaped open-mouthed at the apparition thus found unexpectedly before their parents' hearth. More came in my beneficent attention being modestly directed towards them, others followed, and still more, and more, whilst the man, removing from his mouth his forefoot pipe, and wiping the mouthpiece with his soiled coat sleeve before offering it to me to smoke, smiled as I distributed more cash. They are all mine, he said cutely. Poor fellow, there must have been a dozen nippers there and I sighed at the thought of what some men come to as the last of half a string of cash slipped through my fingers, and outside the town, on the lee side of a triumphal arch erected, maybe, to the memory of one of the virtuous widows of the district I untied my cuckoo and donned my Macintosh and wine cap, a gale blue, my fingers ached with the cold, breathing was rendered difficult by the rarefied air, as we were thus engaged and discussing the prospects of the storm. Yelling from under a gigantic straw hat, a fellow said, Suanli out, not word of reckoning, only five more li to shat yauke. We had thirty li to do. Such is the idea of distance in you and man. They all the storm did not come, however, and my men ever after reminded me to keep out my wine cap and my Macintosh, partly to lighten their loads, of course, and partly on account of the good omen it seemed to them to be. Footnotes, footnote AI, I have seen a European with an imperfect hold of an eastern language, knock an Asiatic down because he thought the man was a fool, whereas he himself was ignorant of what was going on, the message the coolie was bringing was misunderstood by the conceited assistant, and as a result of having just this smattering of the vernacular, he ran his firm in for a loss of $50,000, EJD footnote in, Chinanjo, which stands at a height of 6.500 feet, has been visited again since by myself, my caravan consisted on this occasion of two ponies when I was riding, two coolies, a servant, and myself. As we got to the archway in the middle of the street leading to the busy part of the town, my animal nearly landed me into the gutter, and the other horse ran into a neighboring house, both frightened by crackers which were being fired around a man who was bumping his head on the ground in front of an ancestral tablet, brought into the street for the purpose. A horrid din made the air turbulent. I sought refuge in the nearest house, tying my ponies up to the windows, and was most hospitably received as a return prodigal by a well-disposed old man and his courtly helpmate. The genuineness of the hospitality of the Chinese is as strong as their unfriendliness can be when they are disposed to show a hostile spirit to foreigners. Just as I had laid up for dinner the din stopped, we breathed gunpowder smoke instead of air. Everyone from the head-bumping ceremony came around me and there lingered in silent admiration. My boy came and whispered, quite aloud enough for all to hear, that in that part of the town cooked rice could not be bought, and that I was going to be left to look after the horses and the loads whilst the men went away to feed. 
He advised the assembled crowd that if they valued sound physique they had better keep their hands off my gear and depart. My friendly host shut the doors and windows, with the exception of that through which I watched our impedimenta, and at once commenced good-natured inquiry into my past, and concerning vicissitudes of life in general. Luckily, I was able to give the old man good reason for congratulating me upon my ancestral line, my own great age the number of my wives and offshoots mostly, little puppies, and as each curious caller dropped into septi, so did one after another of the patriarchal dignitaries who were responsible for the human product then entertaining the crowd come vividly before the imagination of the company, and they were graced with every token of age and honor. Chinese speak of sons as, little puppies. Footnote A.O., in crossing a river here I slipped, and from Ray Pocket there rolled a box of photographic films and in reaching over to recapture it, I let my loaded camera fall into the water, I was disappointed, as most of my best pictures were thus as I imagined spoiled, but when I developed at Mono, I found not a single film damaged by water, and every picture was a success from both the roll in the tin and the roll in the camera, it is a tribute to the Eastman Kodak Company Limited that their non-curling films will stand being dipped into rivers and remain unaffected, the films in question should have been developed six months prior to the date of my exposure. EJD Chapter XVII. Stampede of Frightened Women. To the Eagle Nest. An acrobatic performance. And some retaliation at the author's expense. Over the mountains to Pelupen a magnificent storm. And a description. In a rock of ages. Hardiness of my comrades. Early morning routine and some impressions. Unspeakable filth of the Chinese. Low low people of the district. Physique of the women, aspirations towards Chinese customs, skillless building, mythological, anthropological, craniological and antediluvian disquisitions, at Yuanmanai flat country, thriftless humanity, to Hongwei, a day of days, traveler in bitter cold unable to procure food, fright in middle night, a timely rescue, murder of a bullock on my doorstep, callous disposition of fellow travelers, leaving the capital of an old-time kingdom. Bad roads and good men. National virtue of unfailing patience. Human consumption of diseased animals. Menchia at Hongwei. Major deities and the Menchia. Authors differences of opinion. Increasing popularity of the small foot. But the storm came the next day. As we were on our way to Piyupeng. During the 90 Li when we passed the highest point on this journey. By name the Eagle Nest Barrier Tin Wu Kwan. This elevated pass. 8.600 feet above the level reached after a gradual ascent between two mountain ranges, was surmounted after a couple of hours steep climbing, where rain and snow had made the paths irritatingly slippery and the task most laborious. Although the condition of the road was enough to take all the wind out of one's sails, the sublimity of the scenery of the dense woods which clothed the mountains, exquisitely pretty ravines, tumbling waterfalls, running rivulets and sparkling brooks, with little patches of snow hidden away in the maze of greens of every hue all rendered it a climb less tiring than the narrow pathways over which we were then to travel. Halfway up we met a string of ponies, and I underwent a few nervous moments until they had passed in the twenty-inch road a slight tilt, a slip, a splutter, probably a yell, and I should have dropped five hundred feet without a bump. As we went along together, just before reaching this hill, we saw women carrying bags of rice. They saw us, too. One passed me safely, but with fear the others carelessly dropping their burdens, scampered off, 
afraid of their lives, and when one of my soldiers whose sense of humor was on a par with my own when as a boy I used to stick butterscotch drops on the bald head of my Sunday school teacher, and bent pins for small boys to sit on and rise from shouted to them, they dived straight as a die over the hedge into a submerged rice field, and made a sorry spectacle with their lily feet and pale blue trousers, covered with the thin mud, in struggling to get away. One of them, the silly creature, went sprawling on all fours in the slime, and with only the imperfect footing possible to her with her little stumps, she would have been submerged, had not the man who had frightened her, at my bidding, gone to drag her out, as it was, they looked anything but beautiful with their wet and muddy garments clinging tightly to their bodies, and betraying every curve of their knotted beautiful figures, one of the women, a comely damsel of some twenty summers, did not jump into the field, but lay flat on the ground behind some bushes, thereby hoping to get out of sight, and now came forward with amorous glances, we, however, sent them on their way, and I will lay my life that they will not, scoot, at the sight of the next foreigner, and now we are at the, nest, many travelers have made remarks upon this place, where I was waited upon by a shriveled, shambling specimen of manhood, whose wife in contrast to her kind in China seemed to rule house and home, bed and board, whilst we were there, a Chinese, bound on the downward journey, endeavored to mount his mule at the very moment the animal was reaching out for a blade of straw, as he swung his leg across the mule took another step forward, and the rider fell bodily with an enormous bump into the lap of one of my coolies, upsetting him and his bowl of tea over his trousers and my own. I could not suppress hearty approval of this acrobatic incident, but the end was not yet. I sat on one end of one of those narrow forms, and this same coolie sat on the other. He rose up suddenly, reached over for the common salt pot, and I came off with the multitude of alfresco diners laughing at this smart retaliation until their chock-full mouths emitted the grains of rice they chewed. After that I cleared off, descending through a fertile valley. From the bottom there loomed upwards higher mountains looking black and dismal, with clouds black and dismal keeping them company, we had now to cross the undulating ground still separating us from Piyupeng, the early portion of the ground was something like Clifton Downs, something like Dartmoor, the country was poor, and the people barely put themselves out to boil water for chance travelers, the storm broke suddenly, from the shelter of a hollowed rock I watched it haul, over the submerged plain and the bare hills the blackness was as of night, Red earth without the sun looked brown, brown looked black, and the trees, swaying helplessly before the raging fury of the gale, seemed struck by death. Lightning continued its electrical vividity of fork-like greenish-white among the heavy clouds, drooping threateningly from the hilltops to the darkened valleys below, laden still with their waiting, and shed deluge. Through a narrow incision in the cruel clouds the sun peeped out with a nervous timidity, and a tiny patch over yonder in a flash illuminated with gold and purple, across which the lightning danced in heavenly rivalry, displayed the magic touch of the artist of the